Chapter 8 of There's Laughter in the Air, Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Little T. There's Laughter in the Air, Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows by Jack Gaver and Dave Stanley. Abbott and Costello laborers in the cornfield the power of radio to help careers has never been better illustrated than in the case of the rowdy boys of stage screen and airwaves abbott and costello they came out of burlesque with not much more than appetites and now they count their joint annual income in seven figures radio provided the first big boost that made this possible the lightning struck in 1938. They were at the stage of struggling out of burlesque into vaudeville and got a booking at Lowe's Stage Theater in New York. They did their wacky wookie soldier routine in which chubby comic Lou Costello does everything wrong for his officer Bud Abbott. Ted Collins, who is the business partner of Kate Smith, caught the act and thought the boys would be good for the following week's Smith broadcast. They played the date and were asked back the following week. They stayed on the program a year and a half. They became famous almost overnight and the demands of their services were heavy. Hollywood got them for a couple of pictures that are better forgotten. Billy Rose presented them in his Casa Manana nightclub. Schubert signed them for the leading lights in their musical review, The Streets of Paris, in 1939. Abbott and Costello were a bit reluctant about this latter. After all, they were doing famously on radio, and what if they flopped in a big-time Broadway show? It would hurt them, they felt. So their agent made what they considered impossible demands on the producer, only to have all of them met. Finally, in desperation, Costello said they also had to have two tickets to Helsa Poppin, the crazy Olsen Johnson review for which it was almost impossible to get tickets. They got the tickets and were hooked. They need have had no fear. Their stuff went over just as well as anywhere else. The show ran the season out, and the next summer was transplanted to the World's Fairgrounds for a one there. That same year, 1940, they went their own way in radio, providing the summer replacement program for the Fred Allen spot, and they went to Hollywood, where they had been ever since. Their picture prospects soared with the release of Buck Privates about this same time. It had cost peanuts to make, and it earned a large fortune, one of the greatest sleepers in film history. From then on, Universal put out one Abbott and Costello picture after another. The team admirably relies on pure corn for its humor. Their routines have an ancestry that is hidden in the obscurity of time. Experts who have tried to analyze why they suddenly become so successful profess to believe that it is because at the time they came up, the world was in the jittery year just before the war, and people were seeking escapist entertainment, especially something that was simple and at which they could laugh. There may be something in that, but there is really more to it. 
you can toss their material aside. Start with the fact that Costello, round-faced, round-bodied, with a look like a belligerent small boy who's been told he can't play ball with the older boys, is funny to look at. When he puts on some odd clothes, he's even funnier. Then take into consideration the type of act, a smart guy picking on a dumb but stubborn one, two fellows always in an argument. That too is funny, always has been and always will be. Get two fellows involved in such a routine and you laugh just from looking at them. They can speak Sanskrit if they want to. They're still amusing. The jokes that Abba and Costello use are not really too important. The formula is, and they have one that is surefire, especially in a medium where they can be seen. It is a little different with radio, but so far they've been doing all white for everyone concerned in their 10 p.m. Thursday NBC show for Camel Cigarettes. Half of the battle is their loudness and a sense of constant turmoil. On the radio, too, until television comes along, they benefit from the fact that most listeners have seen them either in person or on the screen, and as they hear the dialogue, have a mental picture of the pair. That is a big help. The two, between them, violated most of the rules for standard success stories. Bud Abbott, Christianed William, was born in Ashbury Park, New Jersey, October 2nd, 1900, the son of Harry Abbott, who was an advance man for Wingling Brothers Circus. His mother was a bareback rider in the circus. The family moved to Coney Island, where Bud managed to get as little schooling as possible, did a few odd jobs, and caught a Mickey Finn in a Brooklyn beer joint at the age of 15. When he came to, he had been shanghaied onto a ship sailing for Norway. He jumped ship at Bergen and worked his way back home. His father was associated with a chain of burlesque theaters, and he got Bud a job as assistant cashier in the Casino Theater in Brooklyn. Bud saved his money, got together a burlesque troupe of his own, and soon was branching out with his brother in the ownership of burlesque houses in Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, and Cleveland. They overreached themselves, and in 1929, he was back in the box office of the Empire Theater in Brooklyn. Costello came into his life there. This Costello is of Italian parentage. He was born March 8, 1908, in Patterson, New Jersey, where his father owned a small silk mill. His real name is Louis Francis Costello. He was a cut-up as a kid, always in mischief at school. One teacher mrs bessie whitehead at public school too left her mark on him by frequently making him repent for his sins by writing a number of times the statement i am a bad boy years later this became a costello trademark the famous bashfully uttered i'm a bad boy costello says that he was a perfect brute in school he quit high school for a job got stranded as an actor, returned home, decided to be a prizefighter, got his ears knocked off, and wound up in Hollywood as a laborer on the MGM lot. When he heard they were looking for stuntmen, 
he applied and was accepted for about four years he suffered every indignity known to scenario writers in the names of such stellar persons as Carl Dane, Tim McCoy, and even Dolores Del Rio. I was thinner then, he explains, when eyebrows are raised at the latter claim to frame. The talkies started him back to New York because he saw a lot of frightened actors trekking there to take voice lessons. He figured he'd take them, too. He became stranded in St. Joseph, Missouri, found out that a show troupe there needed a Dutch comedian, and got the job by sheer bluff. He made good, and from then on he was in burlesque under the name of Costello. Eventually he turned up for an engagement at the Empire in Brooklyn, and legend has it that when his straight man became ill, Abbott, who was familiar with all of the burlesque routines, stepped out of the box office and filled in so successfully that they just kept on going together. Another version is that they got together by design rather than accident. Anyway, as Lou has put it, Bud and I was white for each other. The exact details are unimportant. So for nine years they knocked around in burlesque and lesser vaudeville until the engagement at those stakes set them on the main line with a full head of steam. Their radio success, of course, has been great, but their movie rise has been even more spectacular. In the 1941 popularity poll conducted among exhibitors by the Motion Picture Herald, they placed third, excellent for a new team's first real year. In 1942, they astounded everyone by placing first. They were back in third position in 1943. Illness and tragedy marred enjoyment of their success in 1943. On March 6, Lou, the songman who never had been sick, never hurt, who scuffed at the frailer Abbott's fancied aches and pains, took to his bed with rheumatic fever. He was a very sick man for a few days, and then he began to recover, but the after-effects of this illness can be disastrous, and to make sure he was completely rid of the germ, and not to overtax his heart, his physicians kept him in bed until that fall. In November, the same day that he was to return to air with Abbott, who had refused to do the radio show with another partner. Lou's one-year-old son was drowned in the swimming pool at the family home. Lou went through with the broadcast, as funny as ever, breaking down after it was over. But soon they were back in their stride, both in the movies and on the air, and 1944 was another big year for them. Income tax figures showed that from the movies alone they took seven hundred eighty nine thousand six hundred twenty eight dollars in the twelve months ended august thirty first nineteen forty three and their nineteen forty four fiscal year is expected to be larger the two do a lot of friendly bickering in private life probably just out of habit abbott professes to regard costello as a fellow of low taste and a penny picture at that anything i buy is in good taste abbott says anything costello buys is just pure dog for a time they engaged in a bit of rivalry by opening hollywood restaurants 
among their non-profit activities have been a nationwide tour to raise a half million dollars for army emergency relief and the financing of a foundation at palm springs california for the treatment of rheumatic fever victims this last naturally is a project very close to them and they expect to put a large fortune into it someone is always wondering whether or not they will last in the big time how long the public will support them in return for a steady diet of corn this doesn't bother them frankly they think their stuff will go over any time with the general public let the arty folks sneer if they will and if the bubble bursts they'll keep themselves in the proper frame of mind we lived in trunks before we came here abbott observes and we still got the trunks. End of Abbott and Costello, Laborers in the Cornfield. Recording by Little T.